KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah, and today is Monday, Tet Sivan, today's shir is the shir of Harav Binyamin Tavori, the weekly mitzvah for Pashat Baalotcha. We don't actually read Pashat Baalotcha in the Chutzlaretz this week, we read Pashat Baalotcha in Eretz Yisrael this week. We are following, for the purposes of this shir, we are following the schedule of Eretz Yisrael, which is the schedule of Rav Tavori. And therefore he prepares the shir on the parasha. Within a couple of weeks, parashat Chukat, uh, Eretz Yisrael and Chutzahs will resync to be saying the same parasha. After the shir, I'll be back with the Halacha Yomit. the end of parashat Ba'alotcha, we have the story of Miriam and Aaron who spoke al Odot Bin Moshe, they spoke somehow Bin Moshe al Odot Kushita Shalakach. In regard to the woman Kushit, there is a great machloket among the Rishonim exactly to whom this is referring. If it is referring to Tzipova or referring to another wife. In any case, they spoke. Apparently, Miriam spoke before Moshe, before Aaron, but Miriam Aaron the Moshe. And therefore, the Torah tells us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu called them, all three of them, Moshe, Aaron, and Miriam, spoke to them, then he spoke to Aaron and Miriam separately, and he told them, how dare you speak about Moshe, who is unlike any other Navi. The Torah enumerates the special characteristics of Moshe, which are different than any other Navi. And Vayichar HaFashem Bam, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, appears very, very angry, leaves, punishes Miriam with leprosy. Aaron intervenes and pleads with Moshe to intervene on Miriam's behalf. And Moshe does, and Miriam is to be punished, but at the end she is going to be reunited with the nation. Exactly what the sin was that Miriam and Aaron did, traditional to assume that they spoke Lashon Hara about Moshe. I said before, the nature of the Lashon Hara, exactly what they said, is a controversy among the Rishonim, Rashi, the Ramban, Ibn Ezra, all the different Mepharshim have different ideas exactly what they said. But they did speak apparently some sort of Lashon Hara. In fact, some of the laws of Lashon Hara and some of the details of Lashon Hara are derived from this incident. The Rambam in Hilchos Tumas Taras, at the end of the section which deals with the laws of leprosy, the Rambam says, Al This whole issue is warned about in the Torah, Be careful about Negat Sarat. What do you have to be careful about about this issue of leprosy? We translate Sarat as leprosy. I don't know if it's exactly leprosy, but we'll use the word leprosy. The Torah tells us to be careful of the Negat Sarat. And apparently the Ram thinks this Isur, or this admonition of Hishameb Negat Sarat, be careful of Negat Sarat, refers to adherence to the laws of Lashon Hara. And then the Ram continues, 
זכור את אשר עשה השם לקח למרים בדרך. One of the זכירות, one of the six places in the Torah, where it uses the word זכור to remember, is to remember what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did to Miriam. Apparently, the, according to the Rambam, it means to remember the laws of Mitzaras, what caused Tzaras, Lashon Hara, and therefore it seems to be a mitzvah. And according to Ramban, it really might be a mitzvah that should be counted among the Minyan HaMitzvahs. According to the Rambam, it seems to be an admonition, but it's not counted among the list of the mitzvahs. And then the Ram goes on to say what we would consider a Musashmus. The Ram, the whole discussion of Musa. The Ram says, Hareya Walmir. It says in the Torah, Hizbonanu ma'ira lemiriyam hanavia. I would like you to reflect. Bina, Hizbonanu. Think. What happened to Miriam the prophet? She spoke about a, a brother, and she's actually older than he. This might imply that there is some sort of a din that Moshe should respect her. But more than that, the Rambam says, Miriam actually raised Moshe. She endangered herself to save his life. The Rambam says that Miriam did not actually speak to denigrate Moshe. Ella ta'ata, but she made a mistake. She compared him to any other Navi. And Moshe himself was indifferent to these things. He did not care. Even though we know that Moshe was so modest, Miriam really made a mistake. Despite all the mitigating circumstances, she herself received the punishment of leprosy. Very strong language for the Ramam. A fortiori would, would be for any pe- people who are evil, rashaim, tipshim, who are foolish. Who speak haughty language. Anybody who wants to mind his own demeanor should move away from their assembling. In order for a person that he should not be somehow caught up with a group of people who are evil and foolish. When the Rambam said that Miriam did not really speak about the Gnut of Moshe, what did she really do? So the Rambam says, Ta'ata. She made a mistake. She compared him to, any other, to the other Nevi'im. This, on one hand, raises a very interesting problem. The Rambam, in the end of the ten, in the Mesech of Sanhedrin, in his Perish Mishnahis, the Rambam wrote the Ikari Amuna. As is well known, the Rambam developed the 13 principles of faith, and it said that anyone who doesn't believe in these principles is basically a, an Apikarius, a person who removes himself from Klai Yisrael. Among these 13 principles, there is a principle that one should believe in prophecy. One believed, should be believed in Nevoa in general. But there's a specific 
principle, besides the principle of believing in prophecy in general, the Ramam says that there's a specific principle, another Yisod, another Shavish, another Ikar in the Rambam, is not only to believe in prophecy in general, but to believe in the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu, Adon Anavim. The Rambam in the seventh principle of faith, the Rambam says we should believe that who Aviyam Shokol Anavim he somehow the father, the forerunner of all the Nevi'im, both those that came before him, and those that came after him, all of them were below him in stature. He was the chosen of the entire human species. The Rambam says, enumerates the four characteristics of Moshe that are different than any other Nazi. For example, what we just are going to read in, the, in this parasha, Pe'al Pe'adadabo. I'll speak to Moshe as it were, face to face, mouth to mouth. Moshe's vision is in the daytime rather than when the Navi is asleep. It says, so the Raman says anybody who doesn't believe in this is actually a kofir. Is actually an apicaris. A person who is a heretic renounces the basic principles of Judaism. The Raman has, as we said before, 13 principles of faith. One of them is to believe in the incorporeality of God. The Rambam has no body, no koach no guf, no koach Anything that's mentioned in the Torah about the hands, face of God is only in the Rambam anthropomorphism to use the language of human speech in order for us to understand things that otherwise we simply could not comprehend. It's well known that the Ravid, or Nat Rambam, says that there are many people, many people, the actual text in the Rambam, in the Ravid is well known that it's not so simple, it's what, what it means exactly. And the Ravid simply said there are people who believed in anthropomorphism. But moreover, the Ravid said that there were people who were very innocent, who went to learn Chumash as simple Jews, and they read the words of the Torah, and the Torah itself confused them. The Ravid seems to think that Nebuch, this person who really is a good person, he went to shul, he goes to hear the Torah, and he's very simple. He did not learn in yeshivas, he did not have a great education, internet was not developed yet. How could he know the truth about Pshat, the literal meaning of Chumash, except for what he understood. And therefore, why should he be considered a heretic simply because he did not learn properly? He made a mistake. The answer, the explanation given in the name of Reb Chaim was said very succinctly in Yiddish. He said, an apikaris nebuch is eichet an apikaris. 
a person who never, I feel sorry for him, he's an apicorus. But the bottom line is, he is an apicorus. In other words, in the concept of mitzvahs in general, when we do mitzvahs, or rather when a person does an avera. So there are different ways of transgressing a, a mitzvah, of doing an avera. A person could do it b'mezid, he could do it intentionally, he could do it b'ones, accidentally, or by force, could do it b'shogeg, b'shogeg means unintentionally. So in the different averos, and different laws of the Torah, the different sins of the Torah, we could distinguish between shogeg and mezid and ones. But Yechayim seems to have felt that in questions of belief in Judaism, there's no such concept of shogeg. A person either believes or doesn't believe. Why he doesn't believe is irrelevant in order to brand him, in order to label him an apicurus. So when the Rambam said a person who doesn't believe in the incorporeality of God is an apicurus, he simply means to categorize him as an apicurus. The we're not even assigning blame to the person, but we're just saying the fact is he's an apicurus. The only ramification of this might be how would we treat an apicurus? Like, it could be that an apicurus should not be dealt with at all. Perhaps we should even somehow try to ostracize or even do some sort of worse damage to an, to a, an apicurus in order to prevent his uh, teaching the wrong ideas, the wrong issues to B'nai Israel. So, this might, these laws might apply to an Apicarius who is a Apicarius intentionally. But an Apicarius unintentionally, maybe these laws don't apply to him. But that doesn't mean that he's not an Apicarius. This, of course, raises another issue that, for our purposes, is extremely difficult. What was really what Miriam did? According to the Rambam, ta'ata. She made a mistake. What was the mistake? That she equated Moshe with Onlevim. That itself is a, a cla- direct clash with the Rambam's principle that we must believe that Moshe's Nevoah, Moshe's prophecy, is different than any other Navi. And a person who believes in prophecy in general but somehow equates them, as Miriam obviously did. Whatever Miriam said exactly, as I said before, is a controversy in the, among the Rishonim, but here, the Torah says, Dibra Moshe, and her statement that's, pre- that's recorded in the Torah is, Harak Ach Moshe Dibra Hashem. Is it only Moshe to whom God spoke? Halo Gambano Dibra, Kodesh Baruch spoke to us as well. It seems to be that she equated her prophecy, perhaps Aaron's prophecy, Halo Gambano Dibra, with the prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu. According to the Rambam, not only is this some sort of Lashon Har, which we'll discuss soon, but it's also a problem of Kfira. It's actually her- heresy to say such a thing. Rebuchanan Vasaman is the one, the first one that I know that pointed out this issue. And in his little Sefer, Kovitz Mamariam, he says that the principles of Judaism are only principles once they become enumerated. It's not that the principles of Judaism preceded the Torah. We believe, for example, that the Torah preceded the world. But in the chronology of the giving of the Torah, according to Rabbi Hanan, they did not become Ikarim until they were so stated. So actually, when Miriam spoke to, to complain that Moshe's Nebuah was greater than anyone else, this was actually before HaKadosh Baruch Hu 
defined the Nevoah of Moshe as being unique. Before she, when she spoke, indeed, Moshe's Nevoah was unique, but it wasn't established as a principle of Judaism. And therefore, a person at that time who would deny the unit, the uniqueness of Moshe Rabbeinu would be doing something wrong, would be not be right, because it should have been obvious to everyone that Moshe's Nebuah was unique, but at that point it was not the foundation of Jewish belief that the Ramam later enumerated. It was only in the reply to Miriam, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually, actually said the words, Lo chein avdi Moshe b'chol nemanu, Moshe is different, Moshe is one of a kind. All the explanations of what made Moshe unique was only given after Miriam, after this, or during this incident with Miriam. Therefore, what Miriam said was not just, was not really kfirah, God forbid, it was not heresy, but it was the Naveira of Lashon Hara. What was the Lashon Hara? According to the Rambam, Lo Dibra It's not that she spoke to denigrate Moshe Rabbeinu. But she did equate him with other Nevi'im. Is that itself Lashon Hara? The fact that she said Moshe Rabbeinu, she said a true fact. That in her mind, Moshe Rabbeinu's Nevoah was the same as anybody else's. According to the Rambam, in simple reading of the Rambam, this itself constitutes the Lashon Hara. According to the other Rishonim, it could be that what they spoke about Moshe Rabbeinu was the fact that he did leave his wife, he didn't leave his wife, he took a different wife, all the other issues that might have been that might have arisen. But according to the Rambam, it seems that the Lashnar itself, and the Rambam goes on to say more than that. Apparently the Rambam thinks the reason the Torah in context of the story with with Miriam, the Torah added Vaish Moshe Anavmod, Moshe is extremely modest to imply that Moshe himself uh, totally ignored what Miriam said. It did not disturb him in the least. And Moshe perhaps really thought at that time that his, he was not unique. He was the same as Miriam. Maybe the principle of, uh, that we said is going to be explained later, well, even to Moshe, wasn't that clear. Moshe himself was so modest, he simply did not take notice did not mind at all what Miriam said. The Torah then goes on to tell us that Moshe, Aaron turns to Moshe and says a sentence that to me seems quite enigmatic. Biadoni. We would translate that as please. Don't place the sin upon us. The Rabbi, in the translation of Rabbi Shimshon for English, he translates, reckon unto us a grave sin as a grave sin that we have thoughtlessly done and wherein we have sinned. Do not reckon unto us. Do not consider this a terrible sin. It, in a way, this seems to be a form of asking Mechila from Ashabenu some sort of asking for forgiveness for Moshe Rabbeinu and perhaps to lessen the severity of the Avera. 
according to the translation, don't consider the grave sin. We did it thoughtlessly. We did not mean to do what seems such a severe avera. So it could be that this is a form of asking mechila, which of course raises the issue of asking mechila in general for any avera benadam lechavero. We know from the Rambam and Hilchos Tshuva that generally a misa benadam lechavero, any avera between one person and his fellow man will not be forgiven until the person asks him for forgiveness. And this law is learned from various sources in the Torah. You should, when the, the Avimelech was told to return the wife of Avram and ask him to daven for you. Ask him to daven for you implies that you should appease him, make up with him, and tell him to to actually to pray for you, to intercede with HaKadosh Baruch on your behalf. By Lashnara, a person who would speak Lashnara, it would seem the same thing. It would seem the same way. It, would see, it should seem obvious that a person that asks, that spoke Lashnara about someone else should ask Mechila. However, there might be a difference in the case of Lashnara as opposed to other types of Averos. In, for example, if a person stole from somebody, it's obvious that the person who stole is lacking the money that he had, and therefore he should obviously return the money to him, and when he returned the money, he should ask Mechila. He should ask for forgiveness. The problem with asking Mechila from somebody from whom he spoke Lashnara could be a very severe moral issue. When a person heard, spoke Lashnara about someone else, and then goes to that person and says, by the way, I spoke badly about you. I spoke to so-and-so and I said such bad things. Actually, when you tell him that, you are hurting his feelings. If the person did not know that you spoke Lashnara about him, so informing him of, uh, of such a, a thing, informing him that you did speak Lashnara about him, would actually cause him more anguish. Is that correct? Is, is that the proper thing to do? The Shari Tshuva of Rabbeinu Yonah says that even in the case of Lashon Hara, a person should go and speak to the person about whom he spoke and ask Mechila from him. There's a well-known story that Rebbein Salavechik told us about the Chafetz Chaim. Whenever we talk about Lashon Hara, it's obvious that the Chafetz Chaim is Rosh HaMadabim. The Chafetz Chaim is the main source of the laws of Lashon Hara. Today, we he wrote this uh, magnificent work uh, about about Lashonara, calling it the Chafetz Chaim. And when he first was about to print it, he went to the Gedolim of his generation and asked them for us come on the paper. He went to Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, 
And he asked Rabbi Yisrael Salanter if he would write Askam on the Sefer. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said, I can't give you Askama until I read the manuscript. If I agree with what is said in the manuscript, then I'll be happy to give you a, an approbation Askama. After a while, the Chavaz Chaim came to the house of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. He had le- left him the manuscript, and he asked him if he's now prepared to give the, the Askama. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said he read the entire Sefer. And it's a wonderful Sefer. He approves of everything in the Sefer. But there's one thing that he disagrees with. And he says, it cannot be that a person about whom you spoke Lashon Hara should be approached and said, and you should say to him that you spoke Lashon Hara. Because this will only cause him more pain, more anguish. The Rabbi Yisrael Salanter suggested to the Chavetz Chaim that he omit this piece from the book changed the his psaac in this particular issue, and then Rabbi Yisrael Salanter would write him a letter of approbation. The Chavos Chaim answered that everything I think that everything in the, that he wrote in the book he had a direct source for, and the source for this halacha he called he mentioned the name of the Chavos in the uh, name of the Shari Shuva of Rabbi Yana, where Rabbi Yana says clearly a person who spoke Lashna about someone else, should approach that person and ask Mechila from him. So Yisrael Salanter said, that must be in the case when a person knows that there was Lashna spoken about him. He doesn't know who spoke the Lashna. And therefore, you should go to him and ask him Mechila. But if you don't know at all that anyone spoke Lashna about him, then Yisrael Salanter thought, not only should you not ask Mechila, but even... The Shari Shuvah, even Rabbi Yonah himself, did not think you should ask Mechil in such a case. He said, in that case, the pain of the person who, who would be wounded by telling him that you spoke about him would be greater than the concept of asking Mechil, and therefore you shouldn't do it. Even though the Chafetz Chaim said that the simple reading of the Lashon Hara, of the Rabbi Yonah, the words of the Rabbi Yonah imply the interpretation of the Chafetz Chaim, that Really, you should ask Mechila. But Rabbi Salante thought it's, it, it would be impossible to assume such a position. And therefore, he could not write his Haskam on this book. Uh, Byron added that, that the Chavetz Chaim suggested to Rabbi Salante that he would like him still to write Haskama and write in Haskama that he disagrees with this particular psak. And apparently Rabbi Yisrael Salanti's answer was that once his name appears among the people who give Haskamas, he assumed that most people would not read the Haskama directly. They would just assume Rabbi Yisrael Salanti wrote a general approbation, a general Haskama in the Sefer. He would be therefore misleading people, and therefore he felt that he should not write the Haskama because he disagreed with one particular issue of of, of the Chavetz Chaim. And he felt that it would indeed be uh, a type of a listener You would be uh, tr- tricking people by saying you approve of the Sefer when there was one particular Allah and that Sefer that you did not agree with. And even if you wrote a caveat emptor, and you even, even if you wrote a note to say that you disagree with one psaac of the whole book, he felt it still would be wrong to write a Haskama. In our case, m- m- when Aaron spoke to Moshe and did ask some sort of mechila, this is not one of the issues that would be raised by the Chavetz Chaim. Because 
the story that Miriam told may have been told directly to Moshe. In the Torah itself, it's unclear whether it was said to Moshe or about Moshe. The Torah says, Bimiriam might be about Miriam, about Moshe. It does not necessarily mean that Moshe was there, but when it says, Halo Gambano Diber, he spoke about to us, maybe the us could include only Aaron and Miriam, and Moshe wasn't there, but perhaps it could be there to Moshe directly. In fact, if we would interpret, as some Rishonim explain, that Miriam was implying that Moshe should remain as a husband in the full sense of the word to Tzipporah. According to some interpretations, Moshe abandoned living with with Tzipporah as a husband, and Miriam apparently felt this was improper. If that would be true, the presumption is she told it directly to Moshe. So Moshe did know about this particular piece of Lashnara, but moreover, in the Torah itself, Kaddish Baruch Hu himself called them out. And Kaddish Baruch Hu said, El Moshe v'la'aron v'el Miriam, su'ush v'ashtachem alam. Kaddish Baruch Hu called them, called, them, called them all out. And then he spoke somehow more directly to Aaron and Miriam. But apparently Moshe did know of the Lashon Har that was spoken about him. And therefore we could not infer from this particular parasha that you should ask Mechila from the person from whom, about whom you spoke Lashon Hara. The main issues that we've discussed are exactly what was the nature of the chait of Miriam. Was Miriam's chait really just Lashon Hara? It seems from the story itself that it could be that Miriam denied one of the 13 principles of the Rambam. God forbid to say that Miriam uh, somehow espouse some form of heresy. We explain that according to Rebbe Hanan, the question this question was actually raised by him, but the answer that he gave is that Miriam, would, at the time that she said it, there was nothing inherently her- her- heretic about this particular issue. HaKadosh Baruch Hu had not defined the nature of the Nebuah of Moshe Rabbeinu as being unique until this incident happened. And therefore, what she said wasn't really heresy. On the other hand, there are some, seems to be some terrible Easter of Lashon Hara involved here from which we are enjoined, and we learn this from this parasha. We are enjoined from speaking Lashon Hara, and we should always remember the issue of Miriam. Moreover, in this particular case, Mechila was asked from Moshe, at least some form of Mechila was asked, and Moshe did intercede in behalf of Miriam. From here, we have a general question in the future, are all issues of Lashon Hara to be told to the person about whom you spoke Lashon Hara, or are we afraid of adding fuel to the fire and making things worse by actually telling, telling him? The Chafetz Chaim was strongly of the opinion that you should tell the person, even though it might create some sort of bad feelings, but yet you should ask Mechila and trust that a real... Uh, real request for Mechila will only lead to peace and harmony among human beings, among the people. Whereas Rabbi Sosalantir felt in such a case Mechila should not be asked. 
obviously we should always remember the issues of Miriam and refrain from speaking Lashnara in such a way that we will never have to ask Mechila and therefore will fulfill the idea of Nesar Lashon Chameira Sasecha and will be the people the people who, do, who seek the elixir of life to be careful of speaking Lashnara. And now for today's Halacha Yomit. We finished Shmon Esrei. After Shmon Esrei comes Tachanun. There is a tendency not to take Tachanun 100% seriously. To belittle or to somehow take it lightly. Something which you can drop and forget about whenever it's inconvenient. I'm not sure what the reason is. It's true that Tachanun is not said every day. On days with special significance, the meaning is not to say Tachanun. Shabbat, you don't say Tachnun. Or Shchodesh, you don't say Tachnun. There's a whole long list of other days which you don't say Tachnun. But on the, on the other days, the days which are not special in that way, you are supposed to say Tachnun. It's also true that Chassidim expanded uh, rather enormously the list of days in which one does not say Tachnun. So perhaps that's the sociological reason why somehow Tachnun in our minds has less of a, has less of a place. But I don't think that excuses the fact that, for instance, in many schools, children aren't even taught to say Tachnun at all. And I've been to many minyanim, not shuls, but, but other kinds of minyanim, where people just assume you don't have to say Tachnun, and they, and they skip it. If you look in the Rambam, the Rambam has a list of laws of Shmon which, if you don't fulfill them, they don't invalidate the entire Shmon But they're very important halachot, for instance, standing. If you daven when you're sitting down, you don't have to daven again, but there's a well-known halacha that Shmonesa should be said standing. Or, bowing. The Ramam calls kriot. So the Ramam says there are five kriot in Shmonesa. We talked about this. Two in the first bracha, two in the berkat modim, and one at the end, Oseh Shalom. If you don't bow, you don't have to be Shmonesa again, but, but everyone knows you're supposed to bow in Shmonesa. I've never seen anyone not doing it. One of those halachot in that list, the Ramam calls hishtachavaya. Bowing is called in the Rambam Kriya, which literally would probably be translated as kneeling. There's another halacha in the Rambam called Hishtachavaya, which literally means making oneself prostrate. What is Hishtachavaya? The Rambam says when you finish Monesra, you fall down on your face, Nifilat Apayim, and Mitchanein, and you say Tachanun. So it's a real halacha in Shmonesra. True, doesn't invalidate Shmonesra if you don't say it. But Shmon is supposed to be said in such a way that it's completed and concluded with Tachanun. What is Tachanun? So the Rambam, for instance, has no set text. That's what the word Tachanun means. Tachanun means beseeching, pleading. The idea being that when you finish saying the formal text, you fall on your face and you just plead. You, you just beseech God to help you. So there is no standard text. In fact, in the Middle Ages, there were a number of different minhagim. Today, there's more or less only two minhagim left. Two prakim of Intihilim, one by Svaradim, and one by Ashkenazim. But the idea remains to, to say what's on your heart. And in fact, it's indicated by the end of Tachanun, where we say, And the Shalah explains that you've davened, you've said Shmoneh, so you've said all the tefillah you're supposed to say, and you still feel that, you know, we don't know what to do. We haven't, we haven't really fulfilled, we haven't really gotten to what, to what we want. For our eyes are on you, God. And, and that's what I have to say now. Just, I don't know what else to do, but 
but I need you to help me. That's the basic idea of Tachanun, and it's a basic idea of davening. Davening has a formal side, which we've expanded on, I guess, enormously over the last few weeks. But intrinsically, in the end, Tachanun is simply saying everything depends on, on God, and I can't help myself if I need God to help me. Ki eilecha aineinu. And the position, the physical position, in which one says something like that, would be theoretically to be prostrate, prostrate on the ground. So for halachic reasons, one does not fall directly on the ground. It's asur. Uh, and the way Tachnun is said, leaning on one arm on one side, suggests, nonetheless, the idea of saying, I've lost my strength to stand before you. I've lost my strength to stand on my own. Everything depends on you and I fall, so to speak, at your feet and ask you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to help me in every way for all the needs and deficiencies that I have. And that's it for today. You've been listening to KMTT, the Shia on the, week, the weekly Mitzvah of Rav Tavori. Tomorrow the Shia of Harav Moshe Tarigan on the essentials of Avodat Hashem. Until then, this has been KMTT, Kimitzion, Tetzei Torah, Udvar Hashem, Yerushalayim.